electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, inflation kryptonite. Fed Chair Powell spooks the markets with some comments on price pressures. What? 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 And then I read it and I'm like, what? I mean, what did I do? Every device powering our lives relies on computer chips. Former Ford CEO Mark Fields on the crisis of a semiconductor chip shortage. It's a big deal. The bottom line is the capacity in the industry. Uh, has been strained and it's been exacerbated. And you've been hearing about them, a hot new investment with a weird name, digging into non-fungible tokens with entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk. It's about ownership of digital assets, right? And so it's a ledger, it's an infrastructure that is going to go way beyond art and collectibles. Those stories, plus the Senate on stimulus and suit supply, grosses us out. When were those photos taken and how how did the, the models, were they all... Cool with this? I don't know, it's just like a, she looks like she just missed. It's Friday, March 5th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we do this every day, but this day we really need to get right to the markets. You probably heard this yesterday, but rising bond yields pushing stocks lower yesterday after Fed Chair Jay Powell expressed little worry about inflation and provided no indication of policy changes ahead. Businesses and people would need to believe that larger increases in prices would be repeated year after year. And we think it's unlikely that these deeply ingrained low inflation expectations would suddenly change. It is more likely that effects like the ones I described would be one-time effects. In other words, prices in the next couple of months will look high, but only when compared with last year, as the pandemic was taking hold and inflation pressures fell through the floor. Remember, oil prices went negative last year, so they're saying there is a little bit of catch-up to be had here. Right now, the Dow is down for three days in a row, and it's on pace for its second down week in a row. Bigger pressure, though, on the Nasdaq. It's also coming off its third straight losing session. The Nasdaq and the Nasdaq 100 are now off more than 10 percent from the recent 52-week highs that they hit back in the middle of February, now into correction territory for the first time since last year. In fact, uh, this week alone, Tesla's down 11 percent. It was down 5 percent yesterday. Zoom's down 10 percent for the week. Netflix down nearly 6 percent. And then Amazon down about 4.5 percent for the week, with Apple down by about 2 percent. And guys, I think Mike Santoli put it right. He said, you know, the market's going to have to throw a much bigger temper tantrum if they want the Fed to act here. To act doing what? I, I, I mean, I, uh, Jay Powell got done yesterday. Jay the- Powell got done yesterday and, and the market was going down. He's like, what? 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 And then I read it and I'm like, what? I mean, <laughs> what did I do? It, 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 yeah. He said, OK, bonds have moved to one over one and a half. And these crack addicts, we've seen this before. He didn't say, I'm going to I'm going to take steps to lower it back down below one and a half percent. And these traders that the slightest taper, they've been throwing tantrums all through this easing cycle. You know, 700 to 300 is not bad. 300 is not bad. But poor Jay, he's like, what? What? And he's reading it over again. 300 is not bad. 
But if you look no. at the declines for the Nasdaq this week, I mean, I think that's the biggest oh, story. People are rotating out of all of these trades yeah. that did well during the pandemic and are looking for the industrials, for the manufacturers. That's the real trade here. They're, they're right. getting they're out of all running. of those it, stocks. It, it, that, like we said yesterday, yeah. they're, front, they're front running a move, a move higher in rates. And I don't think it had anything. How did right. It felt bad for him. He's like, uh, everything seems so measured that he said yesterday. And most of it really, I thought, was really, really dovish. Like, we're never going to pay attention. We're not going to worry about inflation. That's not going to, uh, you know, it's not, not going to cause us to, to move too to quickly to on, on, on removing right. the punch bowl. But it doesn't take much for, like we've said, these traders that all they want. I don't even, some of, sometimes you wonder if they even care about economic activity as long as the Fed you know, keep the pump. Oh, that's just it. I mean, that's the craziest thing to me. The, the market now fighting against this idea that things are looking better. People are going to get back out there. We're coming through the pandemic. The shots are getting in people's arms. I mean, that's the crazy thing. Senate Democrats took a first step towards passing President Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package. Uh, voting to start debate. Republicans have signaled they're going to use delay tactics to drag out the vote. Although Democrats could pass the bill on their own with Vice President Harris breaking a tie. We know that's always a possibility. The House would then have to approve the altered bill. CNBC has been digging deeper into the relief package that we may get, maybe it's going to get read out loud. Elon Moy joins us uh, with the details of a hidden tax on executive pay. What, what page is that on out of the 600, Elon? Well, I'm going to tell you, Joe, because you might have missed it during the 10 hours and 43 minutes it took the Senate clerk to actually finish reading this bill. The table contained in subclause two. Of the bill was 628 pages long and tucked in there on page 531 is a measure aimed at curtailing executive compensation. Now, officially, it's called expansion of limitation on excessive employee remuneration. Basically, it prevents publicly traded companies from deducting compensation for their highest paid employees if they make over a million dollars. Now, this rule already applies to the top five executives at a company. The COVID relief bill would expand that to the top 10. Now, this is a small change, but it's projected to raise $8 billion within just a few years. So you might be asking, what does this have to do with the pandemic? The answer is not much, but it does have a lot to do with pension relief. Democrats have dedicated tens of billions of dollars to shoring up pension funds in this bill. The revenue from taxing executive compensation helps to offset that cost. Even more importantly, guys, Senate Democrats had to raise more revenue or cut more spending to stay within their $1.9 trillion budget for the bill. So, guys, this is a case where every billion counts. Back to you. Does it really, though? Um, it adds up sooner or later. You know, but really, you need, if you want to get my attention, you get, it's got to start with a T. Uh, I'm sorry. And it does. And it does. So, so we're looking at it now. But billions, I, I'm so done. That's so last, uh, last year, Elon, uh, the, the B word, billions. Uh, it's amazing. Well, it, the it B is. matters. The the B yeah. matters because the House version of the bill was over budget by a few billion dollars. <laughs> uh, the number is anywhere between 50 to 70, 30. There's different ways of calculating it. Um, but so they had to bring something down. And so all of these little changes, they add up to make sure that the uh, COVID relief package is in compliance with those reconciliation rules that they're using uh, to pass this without Republican support. So you got you got to you got to play with the numbers in order to get the bill passed. I can't believe we're 
that a couple of billion can make a difference at this point. Hey, you are. Elon, quick question with that. So they think it's going to raise $8 billion because they assume that companies are not going to cut the pay of any of their executives, that they will keep them all at a million dollars or more, and then they'll just pay the taxes on that as well? Yes, I guess that's part of the calculation here, is that the how much would the CEO pay or the top executives pay actually change? Whatever that figure is, they'll be able to uh, tax companies on more of that amount. Um, you know, what are the dynamics of this? Does this actually change executive pay? That's something that we'll have to find out. But I think the important thing to note about this is that it doesn't even take effect until 2027. So that gives you some sense mm-hmm. of how likely they think this is actually going to happen. It will likely become part of the bill. It will likely get passed into the law. Um, but this is why lobbyists have a job, right, because they can keep trying to delay this provision and delay this provision in order to protect the salaries of those top 10 employees. That, that sounds like cheating, though. That sounds like, OK, we're going to change the rules, wink, wink. But you guys have the next six years to change it back. Well, the reason is because what is important here is how much this bill costs over a 10 year period. So if you raise revenue, one way to make the numbers work is to raise revenue sort of back toward the end of that 10 years, back toward the end of the decade, just to make the math work out. Um, with the perhaps understanding or assumption that maybe this may never come to pass. Um, This is something that is unfortunately very common in Washington. When you think about the last major bill that was passed through reconciliation, the tax bill, this is the whole reason the individual tax cuts expire. And the hope amongst Republicans was that they would eventually get extended permanently, but they had to end them at an arbitrary date, 2025, just to make the numbers work. So this is one of the downsides of using this complicated process to pass a major bill. Uh, politics are so stupid. All right. No, all right, Ilan. Uh, thank you. I, I, Becky, you could have thanked her, but I like any time that there's anything in the teleprompter for me that puts me on the screen, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not going to waste it. So I came back oh, just to say... Th- yeah, I came I back just to say thanks. I think we're pretty good thanks. about sharing screen time. <laughs> Honestly, you're right. I, you're, you hear these right. horror stories about people who count lines and count words. That doesn't right. happen here because There's we all have too much airtime anyway. And your kiss is on my list? Maybe. A viral advertisement is on our list today featuring a man and a woman getting really close. So close that she is licking his face. It's enough to make our socially distanced brains explode. When someone licks me on the face, I just need to wipe it off. Why is that? I mean, why is that? That's not. uh, That is not attractive or sexy. All right. This is your story, your tweet, your your thing, apparently. But uh, anyway, go ahead. I mean, it it became my thing by accident of sorts. (laughs) We're going to take a closer look at how companies are rolling out ad campaigns for a post-vaccine world like this one. And here's what happened. I got an email yesterday from Suit Supply that makes suits and ties that I own um, and uh, got this email under the heading. uh, The new new normal is coming. Uh, There's some other images that are even racier than that. I sent it out, guys. It now has about three and a half million impressions on Twitter. And then about a dozen (laughs) news stories were written about this ad. in all sorts wow. of publications, uh, with all sorts of uh, headlines, uh, including uh, the summer. There's some really uh, crazy headlines. Uh, brands are getting ready for a horny vaccinated summer. That's one headline. 
Um, okay. There's uh, others. Uh, I mean, there's and all these advertising executives are now talking about what's about to happen. It's turned into a meme. Uh, there's a great one with Sigourney Weaver um, in Aliens. You know, remember when, when the aliens right next yeah. to her about to. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yes. Like, so right, there's, right there's, there's a whole great sequence. Her face from that is how I feel with it. Right. There's a whole great sequence of lots of images that people have created or, or created memes around this now. But I don't know. I think, you know, you're, you're, there's, there's clothing companies that are talking about putting people in images together. There's uh, dating website companies that are planning on doing some pretty racy things, it sounds like. The question I have is actually how they did the ad campaign. It's like, when were, the, when were those photos taken? And how, how did they, the models, were they all cool with this? Was there a whole Maybe testing regime? They probably got tested. There were movies that were being made and stuff during but the pandemic. You, you know? saw Tom Cruise's guidelines for, for making a movie. He got yes. really... Um, it, and by the but way, it looks to I me was like on his she, side when he got fired up about that. Yeah, it looked but like, she, drool looks there. like she missed there's here. Drool she missed. Yeah, right. She missed. Is that deliberate? Chin, Where is, is that supposed to be going? Is that, I don't know, just like a, she looks like she just missed. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why you'd want to, uh, why you'd want that to. Was you, the di- that was the direction of the photographer. Okay, turn your head more right. towards the center. Why is, there, me. why is there a baby bust right now? Why is no one having baby babies? The, the, oh, the birth rate has plunged. We're all together. We're takes all 10 home. minutes to catch up. What else is there to I, do? You know why? Because the kids are there, too. Well, no, it's because Netflix. Why. Kids have already <laughs> streaming got. streaming stuff, yeah. Well, there's Netflix and chill, but, but you would think, you know, you're all locked up together. That You figure, you know. But you're right. One thing leads to another. Next thing you know. Everybody's home. Uh, yeah, everybody's home. That's, that's the problem. Coming up on Squawk Pod, former Ford CEO Mark Fields on the car industry's recent boom and where it'll take us. EVs are here to stay and they're going to be growing. Uh, You have a number of products coming to the market this year and next year. And so the big question is, are consumers going to show up? We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. GM is evaluating a second location in the U.S. to provide battery cells for electric vehicles with LG Chem. Through their Altium Cells LLC joint venture, the companies are currently spending $2.3 billion for a new battery cell plant in Ohio. Yesterday, billionaire investor Ron Barrett joined our Squawk Box TV broadcast, and he sees a bright future for electric vehicles. And at the time we invested... It was unlikely, uh, in most people's opinion, that electric cars were going to dominate. Now, of course, even General Motors says that by 2035, uh, they're going to have an all-electric fleet. For more on the auto industry's electric future and the bump in the road, a chip shortage, Becky Quick spoke with Mark Fields, former Ford Motor Company president and CEO. Here's Becky. 
you know, I wanted to start with what Ron Barron had to say, because he's long been a, a Tesla bull. He's been in since, I think, 2014 in that stock. Thinks it's really going to go up, even though he sold some of his shares recently because of the huge rise that it's seen. But the thing that really struck me is he's also made a recent investment in GM's cruise. He thinks that EV is really coming. And I just wonder, is the auto industry prepared for that? And are you as bullish as some of these EV investors have been? Well, I do think uh, when you look at some of the EV investors, I think they're getting a little bit uh, too caught up maybe in some of these uh, EV companies that are uh, that are going public via SPACs. But that being said, is EVs are here to stay and they're going to be growing. Uh, you have a number of products coming to the market this year and next year. And so the big question is, consu- are consumers going to show up? And at least the initial data so far is showing that uh, electric vehicles are growing in the first couple of months of this year. But again, Becky, that's going to be dictated by how consumers feel about their ability to charge their vehicles conveniently, and the infrastructure needs to be built out here in the U.S. And then secondly, the cost. And right now, electric vehicles are more expensive than internal combustion engine vehicles, but that's going to be solved over the next couple of years. And uh, if the government gets more uh, active in providing incentives for electric vehicles, Around the world, that's proven to be, if you will, the, the formula for success for sales in the, in, the, in, the, in the current term. Who do you think comes out on top? We've seen Tesla do incredibly well, but we're looking at some of these stocks at, at, at other new companies um, that have certainly won in the stock market recently. But you also have the entrance of all the legacy car makers. How do you think it actually plays out? Well, I think you're, you're obviously going to see electric vehicles as a percent of the industry continue to grow. Uh, when you look at first movers like Tesla, uh, you know, they tend to compete in the, the upper end of the market. Listen, they're, they, they've done well. They're building plants in Europe, another one here in the U.S. And every vehicle that they, they're bringing out to the market is incremental. So it's not impacting other vehicle sales. So I think they'll continue to be strong. But don't underestimate the, 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 the legacy OEMs. You know, Ford, for example, is coming out with a number of electric vehicles. The Mach-E is off to a great start. GM, as, you, as you've mentioned, has said, listen, by 2035, all their vehicles will be electrified. And I think the market, if you look at the market caps of these companies, these legacy OEMs, the market is starting to get the fact that, you know what, they're going to produce really good electrified vehicles, and they know how to do it at scale and with quality. So I think you're going to see a, a, lot, of, a lot of winners. You're also going to see a lot of uh, companies that will get into operational uh, problems particularly those that are just targeting the very high end of the market, because that's only so big, Becky. Hey, Mark, we just saw this week, I mean, we've been following the shortage of semiconductors, how it's impacted the auto industry. But just saw this week that GM says it's looking at extending some of its shutdowns for its plants because they just can't get their hands on chips. How big of a problem is is this and what's the solution? Well, this is a big problem. You've seen the, the downtimes the, the OEMs or the automakers have announced. I mean, to put it into perspective, uh, some plants have been down the month of February. And if you look at some OEMs and they said some of these plants are going to be down through not only April, but in some cases through mid-May. And that's almost as much as the plants were down last year during COVID. Now, it's not all the plants, but still, you know, uh, it, it, a little shave about 700,000 units off here in the U.S., the first quarter production. So it's a big deal. Wow. Um, it's, it's probably going to uh, go longer than people expect. And we all know the reasons why, right? People are, 
are using, you know, working from home and buying laptops and buying more Wi-Fi access points for their houses or upgrading their broadbands. And, you know, the bottom line is the capacity in the industry uh, has been strained and it's been exacerbated by things like if you look at AMD that's taking share from Intel, Intel has captive foundries. AMD goes to the outside foundries, just like the auto industry. So I think this is going to persist for quite some time. And the thing that's going to solve it is a normalization of demand as people uh, focus on uh, coming out of COVID and traveling instead of spending time at home and more capacity coming online. Hey, Mark, it's also, I, I think, maybe I'm wrong on this, but maybe part of it is this just-in-time um, sort of supply chain that we've set up over the years because the automakers lost their semiconductor chips because they canceled the orders. They said, forget it, we're not making cars right now, so no, we're not going to take it. The semiconductor companies then went and found other suppliers. So you can't get your supply back because you told them you weren't going to take it while, while they were down. You know, but Is that a problem or am I, am I conflating it? No, no, that is a problem. Uh, when you look at the production methodology in the auto industry, it's all about just-in-time delivery on top of very complex supply chains. Because keep in mind, Becky, OEMs don't buy chips directly from uh, these fabricators. They actually are bought by their suppliers. And so it's a very long and complex supply chain. And the lead time these days is you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 26 weeks. So the solution going forward for the OEMs is to make more commitments, more hard and fast commitments uh, for their suppliers for these, ve these, ve these parts that have a lot of semiconductor chips. And it's going to take a while to, to work itself out because that capacity has to come online. And bottom line is the, the automakers don't have a lot of sway with the semiconductor manufacturers because it's still a relatively small portion of the semiconductor manufacturer's customer set. One other issue, the idea that this is going to last longer than we've been anticipating, that's bad news for jobs. And obviously, we're watching jobs very closely. But it's probably also bad news um, for consumers, just in terms of what they're going to be paying, not only for new cars, but then used cars as a result, too. Yeah, you're exactly right. Even before the chip shortage, uh, there's been uh, very tight inventories in the auto industry. If you look at uh, just the, the February sales figures, the day supply uh, it was 53 days supply. The normal supply should be around 65, 66 days. So it's very, very tight. So what consumers are seeing right now are tight supplies, higher prices, because the, the automakers, rightfully so, don't have to put as much incentives on the vehicles. And you saw that in the transaction prices last month here in the U.S. It was over $38,000, a record. And that will then have an impact on used car prices, which are very high. So for the time being... Uh, going forward with these tight inventories, you're going to see uh, elevated prices, less discounts, and you know consumers are going to have to hunt uh, more for, for those good deals in the marketplace. Mark, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Becky. Next on Squawk Pod, want to buy a meme? The rise of the newest alternative investment, digital authenticated ownership of stuff on the internet. Entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk. Social currency has always been important. We're about to see the social currency hit every aspect of the world. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a growing topic in the crypto world, zeroing in on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Non-fungible describes a bit of data that is one of a kind. It can't be copied, replaced, or even faked. So a dollar or a Bitcoin can be traded for another dollar or another Bitcoin, fungible. But a canvas by Picasso can't be traded for a painting by your niece. Non-fungible tokens are information stored as part of the crypto Ethereum blockchain, which allows verified ownership. Here's where it gets weird and fun. NFTs are different than cryptocurrencies. They can represent digital assets. Think trading cards, a bit of video, or even a meme. Remember Nyan Cat? Crazy enough, an NFT of the flying cat sold for $580,000, half a million dollars just last month. It may sound crazy that these tokens have a respectable market, but they are becoming a collector's item. And it's not like your old trading cards. I caught up with CNBC's wealth editor, Robert Frank. Robert, the the NBA, uh, the National Basketball Association, one of the sort of high temples of merchandise for people to buy, have gotten into non-fungible tokens. What are they doing? Well, the NBA has really taken the lead on the growth of non-fungible tokens or NFTs, as they're called. And it, it's just exploded in the last three months, really. It, it's been around for a while. But what it means is that you own the digitally authenticated version of that thing. Now, it's very abstract. You had the artist, the graphic artist Beeple, uh, who is famous on Instagram, just sold a piece for over $6 million. He's got another piece that's being auctioned on Christie's right now. The auction ends or the bidding ends on March 11th, bidding there already over $2 million. You had some of these NBA uh, top shots, which, which are essentially videos selling for tens of thousands of dollars, one from LeBron James selling for over $200,000. Then you have these bizarre examples where Lindsay Lohan tweets a picture of her face that I think initially sold for $17,000, but then was immediately flipped by the buyer for $57,000. Mark Cuban selling a lot of his tweets. Again, everyone can see the tweets. It's not that they're getting something special, but they're selling the digitally authenticated version of those tweets. So that, like Mark Cuban in the tweets, you know, LeBron, if it's a great dunk, like the ownership question is really what's interesting here because 
in one sense, you could say LeBron was the artist and, and, and owns the actual moment and the NBA owns the video footage. Right. So what you hear, what you hear from the NFT crowd is, well, the, it's like the Mona Lisa of the digital age. This is the original. Well, the Mona Lisa is a physical picture right. that despite the pictures of that painting, there is only one physical Mona Lisa. All these other videos, the digital versions of it that you can see online are indistinguishable from the quote original because it's a digital video or a meme or something else. And so I don't, I've been covering collectibles for over 15 years. I can't really understand. Yes, I understand it. There's a digital signature, but copies of it are essentially indistinguishable from the original. Whereas you look at a collectible Ferrari, look at a collectible Picasso, you look at a collectible right. uh, color diamond. There is that original physical thing that is its value. It's its scarcity. It's its quality. With this, I'm still unclear what the value is other than it's been recorded on a blockchain somewhere. Because they are meant to be held for a future time, NFTs can grow in value, just like an individual stock can. And it's a little that an NFT will be worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. Investor Gary Vaynerchuk joined us this week on Squawk Box. He's long on non-fungible tokens. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joining us on this topic and so much more, an expert on all things internet trends, Gary Vaynerchuk is here, CEO of uh, VaynerMedia. It's great to see you, Gary. For those uh, uninitiated, these are non-fungible tokens, uh, a new kind of uh, digital authentic... You you describe it. I was going to (laughs) say a way to authenticate uh, d- well, different d- different things, both on and offline. Yeah, it, it's it's about ownership of digital assets, right? And so it's a ledger, it, it's an infrastructure that is going to go way beyond art and collectibles, which is where we're at right now. But you know, it, it's something that takes an asset and creates a ledger component that allows trackability, that allows to see ownership. People are very much struggling with the concept, but I remind people like, what's the blue check worth on Instagram? What's a skin on Fortnite worth to one of your kids? A lot of people here are like, right, I paid 50 bucks for that thing. Social currency has always been important. We're about to see the social currency hit every aspect of the world. Right. So here's the thing, right? There is a, a bit of a, a, a mental game that people are playing with their, themselves, saying to themselves, especially for the older generation, saying, okay, so there's a video. Let's just say a video of uh, Michael Jordan dunking a ball. I'm making this up, right? Yep. And there's the original video, and then there's obviously the, the copies of the video that go around. And, and people are saying, well, what's the difference between the original and the copies, right? The, the difference is there's a Rolex and there's a fake Rolex. But as we become more digital native, we're going to actually be able to see who owns the actual asset. And so the fake and real game has always played out in the physical world, but was never really provable. It's going to be provable on the, the ledger, on these blockchains. Right. And that the will play though- out. But Gary, the critics would say, the critics, I think, would say, look, the Mona Lisa is a, fi- is, is a physical painting. You can yep. take pictures of that painting and distribute them all you want, but there's still only one physical painting. The difference between a video of Michael Jordan, uh, the, the first video of Michael Jordan dunking the ball, and the 10,000th video of Michael Jordan, they're the same video. 
the critics will say that, but the people watching this show, when they realize that they can transact on the ownership of that asset and make a profit and the original IP creator can make a 10% or 15% rake on the transaction, we'll have a very different conversation. Gary, before you go, I need some personal advice. I uh, very happily still have 1986 Fleer basketball, the entire set with the Jordan rookie wow. card. Wow. Do, do Hold on. And it's in my parents' house. Do I sell it now or not? Um, I, is it graded? You got to get it graded. And you got to give me your parents' address. I'll go over and help them clean up the backyard. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Okay. I'll see you later, Gary. Thank you. Appreciate it. In the past month, the volume sold in the NFT market was over $178 million. That's according to nonfungible.com. More people now are getting into the NFT game. Artists, musicians, video game manufacturers all see a value in this new idea. Would you ever invest in an NFT? What would it be? What's your dream token, your dream meme? Send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC with your thoughts. We'd love to read those tweets, and maybe they'll be worth something someday. And that's it for today's podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.